Notice with me Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, and I'll read from the uh, English Standard Version. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Now, the Hebrew word for vision in this verse is chazon, chazon, I think. And it comes from another word that actually means to see. And it would include a dream, a revelation, a prophecy, an oracle, or a word from God. And the primary thought in this verse is that, is that without a revelation of God's will and God's ways, people run amok. When they're not taught right from wrong, they go wild. One translation says, without guidance from God, law and order disappear. And we see that in many places. But when people obey God's commands, goodness and favor flow. People are blessed. But I think, I think we could expand the meaning of this verse and do no damage to the integrity of the verse that unless you understand God's purpose for your life, you will likely spend your days in confusion wandering aimlessly. You need a revelation of God's purpose for your life. Mark Twain was a famous American author from the late 19th century, and he said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. In the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, all things were created through him and for him. Him. That means he not only made you, he made you for himself. The Message Bible says it this way, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. You see, it's only in him that the pieces of the puzzle fit together. Nothing makes sense in life until you realize God's purpose for you. Know this, that you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. The Lord brought you, like he said to Esther, the Lord brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this. Hallelujah. You know, it's interesting in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord said this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But it is not just preachers and prophets who have a calling from heaven. God has something for every man to do. We all have a part to play in this great drama of redemption. Think about this. Even to such a godless person as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the Lord said in Exodus 19, 16, 
For this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And, of course, he actually meant it in a negative sense. Your stubbornness is going to give me an opportunity to work miracles in Egypt. But if that's true for Pharaoh, how much more is it true for a child of God today? For this purpose, I think we could say that about every one of you. For this purpose, God has raised you up to show his power so that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Hallelujah. However, if you think there's no point to your existence, if you see your life as inconsequential, if you feel you're only here to take up space, to suck up air, then you'll be careless in your conduct and reckless in your behavior. And you'll think, it doesn't matter what I do. My life doesn't matter. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. If we could only see what God sees... We would live life purposefully. We would know there's a reason why God puts you in this generation at this time in history. There are no insignificant assignments in God's kingdom. Are you out there today? As a 19-month-old toddler, Helen Keller was struck by a devastating disease that left her both blind and deaf. What a terrible thing to go through life, blind and deaf. But through the remarkable, really heroic efforts of a dedicated teacher, Ann Sullivan, Helen Keller learned how to communicate. She even learned how to read in Braille and to write. By the way, if you're a teacher and you need some inspiration, study the life of Ann Sullivan. There's a good example of a teacher. Helen Keller even went on to graduate from college and actually authored several books. It's amazing. Someone once asked Helen Keller, what's worse than having no sight? She answered, having no vision. Where there is no vision, the people fade away. Where there is no vision, they perish. What is a vision? For our purposes this morning, I could define it this way. It's a dream. And I mean something that comes from heaven. It's a dream for tomorrow. A blueprint for building your future. It is not seeing what is but seeing what could be. It is a goal to reach for. It is more than a wish or some vague general desire. It is within you a picture of hope. A picture of hope. You know, that reminds me of a verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, in the New King James Version, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure 
and steadfast. You see, where there is no vision, people fade away. We can live without many luxury, luxury, luxury items in this life. We, don't, we can survive without the latest technological gadgets. We don't have to wear the latest fashions. But here's one thing we cannot live without, hope. We need it like the air that we breathe. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now know this, first of all, that every child of God, I'm talking about a born-again Christian, every child of God has a living hope, a hope beyond this life. No matter how great the challenges are that we face, no matter how difficult the, the disappointments we go through, we should always keep things in proper perspective. The Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All the sorrows of earth cannot begin to compare with the joys of heaven. And I'd rather have a miserable life in this world and then go to be with the Lord in the life to come than to have all of my dreams fulfilled only to spend eternity in hell. Don't misunderstand me. However, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.8 that serving God holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Not only do we have a hope beyond the grave, we have hope now. We have hope even in this life. Can I get an amen? amen? And the Bible says that this hope is an anchor for the soul. That's so interesting. Now, I grew up uh, near the ocean. And so I know from experience, and probably everybody in the room knows it as well, that you can park a car, but you have to moor a boat. There are no parking spaces in the ocean. If you don't use an anchor, boats just drift away. They just follow the currents. Likewise, when people have no hope, they choose the path of least resistance. Any way the wind blows, that's where they go. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. But when hope is strong, people can endure hardship. Think of the sacrifices that, that is required to be a professional athlete. So, you know, some of us, we, you know, we, we, we like to watch sports. But think about the price that was paid for professional athletes to get there. The never-ending training, the rigorous lifestyle, the, the discipline that's required. Why do they do it? Why do they punish themselves? Why do they push themselves? Because of hope. That's just natural hope. They have a hope that one day I'll lift up that trophy. They have a hope that one day I'll wear that gold medal. They have that hope within them. One day I'll be a champion. You know, as a young boy, I played uh, on a local neighborhood baseball team. 
Baseball is kind of like American-style cricket, if, if you want to know. And our team lost every game but one. The whole season, we lost every game. And we got to the point where we expected to lose. Actually, the, the day we won a game, we were shocked. We couldn't believe it. We thought there was a mistake. <laughs> and when that sense of hopelessness permeates the thinking of a people, they don't try very hard. Sometimes they don't even show up at all. In fact, what happened is we lost the game in our minds before the game began. But there's something more important than a baseball game this morning, and it's your life. And some people have mentally checked out. They've decided there's no hope for me. My dreams will never be fulfilled. And so they just roam aimlessly through life. Are you here today? But I would like to remind you of a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul talked about something similar. Sports, when he said, Do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. What is he saying? Don't give up. Don't give up on the dream that God gave you. Don't be satisfied just to start the race. You've got to finish it. You've got to see it through to the end. Can I get an amen? And hope brings out the best in people. It develops us. It inspires us. It causes us to push ourselves further than we thought we could go. But despair ruins souls. If there's one thing I could give or wish to give to the people of India, in Northeast India especially, it would be a heavy dose of hope. I hope that in Nagaland more and more young people start overdosing on hope. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, where there's no vision, the people perish. I, I'm not telling you this morning to go out and find yourself a vision. Your vision will find you. If you walk with the Lord, if you live every day conscious of his presence, his spirit will begin to give you glimpses of his plan for your life. God has formulated a plan for you. He's not up in heaven, you know, secretly hoping you'll never discover it. He wants you to know his will. He wants you to see what's in his heart for your life. Amen. Paul Crouch, Paul Crouch was the son of uh, two Pentecostal missionaries. And at an, at an early age he developed a fascination with radio. And eventually he became convinced that through the medium of radio and through the airwaves, the gospel message could be broadcast to many nations. He worked in a student-run radio station while in Bible college. After graduation, he got a job working in a local television station. And then eventually he actually was able to purchase, he and his wife, along with some others, to purchase a very small local television station near Los Angeles, California. 
1973 with the determination to begin broadcasting Christian programming, which was something that was almost unheard of at that time. Paul Crouch worked hard. He believed God and his television ministry began to grow. He said one day he was at home in his study praying and suddenly God gave him a vision, literally a vision. He saw on the ceiling a map of North America and then he saw beams of light, shafts of light that, that, that went and hit major population centers, major urban areas, large cities in America. And then those beams of light spread like a web connecting other smaller cities in the region. And eventually he saw the whole country and eventually the world illuminated with these beams of light. And in his heart he said, Lord, what does this mean? And he heard one word in his spirit, satellite. Huh? Satellite. Today... Trinity Broadcast Network, TBN, is on 70 television satellites beaming to over 18,000 television and cable outlets. At one point, it was the second largest television network in America because God gave him a vision. What is a vision? It is a seed that the Spirit plants in your soul. Are you out there today? Now, that's not to say, and I don't mean to imply that every one of us has to have grandiose aspirations, these humongous dreams, you know, of conquering the whole world. That's not necessarily God's plan for everybody, but I want you to know that there's something significant for each person. Some people... Their, their vision, God's plan for their life, is simply to assist others in advancing the gospel. I think Brother Mark Hankins, our friend, said it well. Imagine when Paul was let down in a basket in Damascus after he was saved and, and he had to flee persecution. Imagine the man holding the rope, lowering, lowering him down, saying, God, give me something really important to do, not knowing that in his hands... He's holding the man who's going to write half the New Testament. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, when we speak of seeing our dreams fulfilled, realizing the vision that God has given us, I think generally there are two different trains of thought, two different ways of thinking about this. I often see two different perspectives on this subject. Now, some people take a more aggressive approach, you see. They say, if you, if you want to see it happen, you've got to make it happen. You've got to go out there and you've got to do it. So they say, you know, uh, formulate a plan, set the goals, Take the steps to accomplish them. Hustle, work hard, go after it. Learn from your mistakes. Keep on going. Don't quit. You see, something along those lines. But then there are other people who take a more 
passive stance. And they say something like this. They counsel you, let God bring it to pass in his own time. Rest. Just wait on him. You know, don't get in the flesh. Don't don't try too hard. If it's God, he'll take care of it. So I often see when people talk on the subject, two opposite viewpoints. So which one's right? I thought about this over the past several days and even weeks. And in my heart, I would say to you, neither one. Neither one. I would say they're both partially true, but neither one is completely true. And the best answer I can give you is actually it's a little bit of both. It's right down the middle. And I'll show you why. Notice a few scriptures here, a couple of scriptures actually. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1 says this. It says, we are workers together with him. Paul said, we are workers together with him, with the Lord. In Matthew chapter 11 verse 29, Jesus said these words, take my yoke upon you. But see, a yoke is usually thought of as a pairing of two animals. It's not just a harness for one. It's a coupling together. What he means is, come, join with me. We'll be partners together in this. See, it's not all up to you. It's all on your shoulders. It's all the work of your hands only. And it's also not all up to God. It's just up to him. Let him do anything and we have no part to play. It's you and the Lord working together. Are you out there today? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that's not only true concerning evangelism, you know, and Christian ministry. I'm sure it's also true concerning whatever your assignment is in this world. It's you and God working together. Now, notice a passage of Scripture, James chapter 4, verse 13 and 15. I'm going to read a few Scriptures now. James 4, verse 13 and 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So years ago, I was back in like 1989 actually, years ago, I was traveling through Eastern Europe and ministering there as the Lord opened doors, you see. And, of course, you know, that was a number of years ago. I was not as, as seasoned and wise and good-looking as I am now, you see. And, um, but at any rate, um, I, I was speaking about my plans for some upcoming meetings that were scheduled. You know, I'm going to go here and then I'm going to go there. When one Hungarian sister spoke up and said, if the Lord wills and we live. And I looked at her and I said, I'm sure this is God's will and I'm not planning on dying right now. I'm going to live. And then she referred me to this passage of scripture. She said, no, you should always say, if we live and the Lord wills. That's interesting, isn't it? 
But then I thought about it later. If that's true, why didn't Jesus do that? Jesus himself, on one occasion, got into a boat with his disciples and said, let us go to the other side. He didn't say, if we live. <laughs> that would not be good in the middle of the storm. They might have remembered that. We may not live. He just said, if we live. <laughs> and Paul himself did not say that every time, not every statement he made. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 28, he told the believers in Rome, I will leave for Spain by way of you. He didn't say, you know, if I live, if the Lord wills, I don't know. There wasn't uncertainty in every statement he made or, or anything that he intended to do. See, I think we've misinterpreted, I think our sister in Hungary misinterpreted that scripture passage. I don't think James is telling us that as a formula, we have to insert these words, if I live, if the Lord wills, but with every sentence that we utter. I think what James is saying is this, don't formulate your plans for the future and leave God out. It's not just saying something, it's knowing something. Make God your business partner and let him take the lead in your affairs. Then you'll succeed. You need his help. Don't just, don't just design your own business plan and then ask God to bless it. Discover his plan for your business because his plan is already blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. So in other words, it's not just all up to you. Just do whatever you want to do. Just, 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 just pursue it with your own strength. You don't want to climb the ladder of success only to find on the top rung your ladder is leaning on the wrong wall. Amen? But then again, notice this scripture, Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, in the Jordan translation says, Faith is turning dreams into deeds. Faith is the turning of dreams into deeds. That means it requires faith. And faith is not just passively agreeing that God's word is true. It is acting on the word of God. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, there is a list of people who were commended by God for their faith. And all of them did something. None of them just sat down and said, oh, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. If it's not, it won't. So I'll just sit in my rocking chair and watch the clouds roll by. No, no, no. They all acted. They stepped out. They did something. Or listening to me, my wife and I, over the past 30 years, have constructed many buildings, including the one you're sitting in right now. Uh, we've built two houses in the process of building a third right now. Um, I didn't realize when I got married that I was marrying Bob the Builder, but what a blessing. I mean, it's, it's, it's turned out to be a tremendous help. God knew what he was doing when he put us together. I, she, she is like, you know, you know, supremo, you know, Raj mystery, you know, coordinator. I mean, you know, she's on a personal, has a personal relationship with these contractors and suppliers. They call her. She speaks to them more than she speaks to me. dormitory, you know, guest house, all these things, you know. Most of the time, when we started to build these things, we did not have sufficient funds. Even now we're building a house. We started with, well, not much. I mean, just not, not enough to build a house, nothing really. And we just said, 
Step out. Just believe God. Go for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Trust God. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible tells us a similar story. In the Old Testament, the Syrians besieged Jerusalem. That means they surrounded it and they had it in a stranglehold. No one could come in. No one could come out. And, and there was no, no supplies, no provision. The people in the city of Jerusalem were starving to death. Elijah the prophet said by the word of the Lord that the next day food will be in abundance in this city. And the story tells us, the Bible tells us there were four lepers who were seated outside the gate or near the gate of the city. And they said to one another, why should we just sit here until we die? That's what some of you are saying right now, I know. <laughs> why should we just sit here till we die? If we stay in the city, we'll starve to death. If we meet the Assyrians, they may kill us, but we're going to die anyways. So they decided, let's go. So they walked toward the camp of the Syrians. And God worked a miracle when they stepped out. He amplified their footsteps. And the Syrian army heard it like the sound of a mighty horde coming their way. And they assumed, they assumed that the, the Israelites have aligned themselves with Egypt or some other nation, and here comes this great force, we can't tackle it. And so they, they scrammed, they vamoosed, they ran away. In such haste, they left all their supplies. And those four lepers found the, the camp empty and all the food, and they sat down, they were just eating and saying, glory to God, hallelujah. <laughs> and then they called the, the folks in the city, and they came rushing in hallelujah see here's the thing they could have just sat there complaining feeling bitter wondering god why don't you do something but they took steps they took steps you know sometimes we have it in our heart to do something maybe to build your own house maybe to start your own business you know maybe to start a family maybe to begin your ministry and we're just kind of waiting until something falls on us. And sometimes the only thing that falls on us is disappointment. Maybe the reason nothing's happening is because God wants you to get up and start taking some steps. And he'll amplify your footsteps. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And, and, and you know, God can give you favor with people who have resources. God can give you favor with people who have wisdom and experience. Hallelujah. Besides that, I'd rather try and fail than to do nothing and go to my grave with regret. What if? What if? Years ago, I was speaking in a church in America and I was sharing a little bit about our ministry here in Nagaland. And at the end of the service, a woman came up to me. She was, I'm sure, in her 80s. And with tears in her eyes, she said to me, Brother John, I want you to know something. When I was a little girl, God called me to be a missionary to India. But I never went. And I could see she's now 80 years old. And she still has that calling in her. 
and she has regret. Not all the runners finish the same way. So run. Run that you may finish your race. Don't let go of the dream God has given you. Hallelujah. He's a big God, and your dream is not too big for him. Can you stand with me to your feet right now? Hallelujah. Can we give God a shout of praise in the house this morning? Anybody here today?